When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, rock and rollers, welcome to the 56th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And I want to thank everybody who tuned into number 55 on Asia's live official bootlegs, volume one. It's a nice 10 disc set, and we had a lot of fun doing the show, listening to all that great music. I'm just happy to know that some people have written in to say, hey, thanks, you know, I always liked Asia, and after your in-depth analysis, I'm definitely going to buy this box set, and I think that's great, that's a big reason why we do this show. Yes, Jackson and I like to talk about rock and roll, all the things we love, hard rock, heavy metal, classic rock, prog rock, early MTV, stuff that influenced us when we were growing up, stuff that we've gotten into since, but if we can turn one fan on to something new or help them find a record that we really like, that's a lot of fun for us. And we've had a lot of fun this year connecting with rock fans all over the world. And we hope it will continue into 2022. We've got a lot of fun things planned for the new year, and we hope that you will come along and listen with us. On that note, we encourage you to subscribe and download the episodes wherever you may get your podcast, be it Apple, Amazon, Spotify. Good Pods is a great one. Samsung just opened up for us. Anywhere you get your podcast, please go ahead and subscribe so you can get our show as soon as it comes out on every Thursday. And this comes out on the 23rd of December, so we know a lot of people will be celebrating Christmas. Even though there's a lot of scary stuff going on with the Omicron virus going on here, we just want people to be safe and happy and healthy this holiday. And if our little show gives you a little break from all the stuff that's got you down or on your mind, hey, that's another reason why we love to do this show. And we've got hundreds in store, so please subscribe and download, and we will share them all with you going forward. Now this week, we're going to tackle an album by The Smiths called The Queen Is Dead. The Smiths were kind of a phenomenon in the UK in the early to mid-80s. Morrissey, Johnny Marr, Andy Rourke, and Mike Joyce came out of the Midlands to create a cool sound paired with Morrissey's interesting voice and sometimes controversial lyrics. Sometimes they're talking about things that weren't prevalent in society. At least they weren't spoken about prevalently in society. But they made an incredible sound that was appreciated on both sides of the ocean, both sides of the Atlantic. However, they were much bigger in England than they were in the U.S. They did not make videos, which was the number one way to launch yourself in the U.S. They didn't put their faces on their records, so people never really got a sense of who they were exactly, although the British press were kind of all over Morrissey, almost in a Freddie Mercury kind of way, more interested in what he was doing outside of the studio in his personal life maybe than what was going into their records. But they had a cool sound. The Smiths kind of got boxed in the U.S. in that kind of alternative college radio scene. They didn't get a lot of airplay on pop radio. They certainly didn't get it on rock radio. And like I said, they didn't make too many videos. They weren't really on MTV. But they were a bigger deal here in the UK. And they did a lot of non-album singles, something The Who did a lot in the 60s, in addition to releasing four albums. And we're going to talk about the third, which is The Queen is Dead. came out in 1986. It's one that I had early on in my CD collection. I was turned on to the Smiths by a couple of friends who's Last name happened to be Smith. But in the early part of high school, I was getting into alternative music, listening to R.E.M. and listening to The Church. A friend turned me on to New Order. And the Smiths were kind of part of that 120 minutes world. And this one, The Queen is Dead, is one that I listened to back and forth. Now, being a hard rock, heavy metal guy, the Smiths were never going to be a huge part of my rock and roll diet. They weren't a huge influence on me going forward. But they were a great band that made this cool sound that's been very influential, especially in the UK, to a lot of bands that have come along since. 
So I thought since we're kind of on a bit of an 80s kick, where well, we did REM Document, we did U2, we're doing Asia, I thought The Smiths' Queen is Dead would be a good one to do as well. Now with that, you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Make sure you subscribe and download wherever you get the show. All right, guys, let's jump in. 1986's The Queen is Dead by The Smiths here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. In listening to the album again, because yeah. I, I did listen to it back in the day, it was probably one of my first 30 or 40 CDs because I was just under the influence of this kind of alternative rock scene. Plus, dear friend Carl, more of a brother than a friend, his sister Cameron was four years older than we were. And she got into the Smiths. Of course, their last name is Smith. So it, it, I think that was part of their draw to it in the first place. But, and she was really into it, and she always had good taste in music, like she liked you too, and, and she, you know, got us into some alternative kind of stuff. And so they were always on in the air, and I guess I got this one because we didn't have that one. Carl and his sister, I guess, didn't really have that one, or they only had it on maybe LP or something like that. And, and I got it, and I listened to it a long time. I think musically, it's still very good. It's guitar-driven rock that's different from what we grew up on. It's not like blues-based rock. It's not like big solo guitar rock. But it's very guitar driven and different in that way. But it was uh, in doing the research, it was just like, yeah, there's a reason they didn't really catch on in America and, and they weren't really my scene going forward. Yeah. Good stuff, I, but I, not my scene, man. I, I would say the same thing. I, I never really listened to this when I was growing up. It just wasn't on my radar. Yeah. So listening to it now, I can see. I mean, the songs are great. Like when you listen to them without the lyrics, mm -hmm. if you can do that. They sound good. They're tight. They play well together. But when you get into the lyrics, it gets real. Like at this point in time, Morrissey's on a real downer. A little bit. Yeah. A, yeah. Like, like, Mm, okay, that was a great song. Did you listen to what he was saying? Not really. Well, listen to it again. Oh, hmm. Okay. Yeah, a most beautiful so, yeah. love song. Yeah. Uh, that's basically a note about dying in the middle of the street. <laughs> okay, Stephen. <laughs> that's not my name anymore. It's just Morrissey. Mm -hmm. Okay. All righty. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> But no, I mean, the thing is that, and I, I bring up how, you know, Cameron had turned me on to it because you didn't get it on the radio. You didn't get on rock radio here. They were never on any of like the, uh, you know, they certainly aren't on something like Solid Gold or anything like that. They didn't make it into Casey's Top 20 a whole lot or his Top 40. You know, they, they, they weren't on any of the other shows 
and I never really saw them on MTV until there was 120 minutes. I, I like I wouldn't see them on, in the middle of the day, but you know when an alternative rock show came on, you would see it. So that's the thing you couldn't really get this via the mainstream in America. Whereas they were on top of the pops in Britain, while they were an alternative rock underground independent, whatever you want to call it, they were kind of in that scene over here in America, and their sales kind of reflected that in England. They were kind of a big deal. They're on top of the pops. And they released a ton of singles, non-album singles, because they only made four records. But then they made a couple more records from just, we'll release one or two songs right now, worth of stuff. Probably a few records worth of stuff if you include all the B-sides. And so it was kind of odd as far as the way you even got to them in the States. But over here, they're regarded very highly. They're a much bigger deal. And that's, we, we've kind of talked about that before. That's an English thing to do. In the, in the United States, I don't ever remember that. I mean, it was the album. You had the 10 tracks or whatever it was. You might have had a single that they released that you could buy, but there wasn't any really standalone stuff. It was more of the album, sell it, move on to the next one. So that that was always kind of cool in my experience, finding that one where it's like, what, 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 is it, what album is this all about? Well, it's not. It's a standalone deal, and it's got a different cover, and it's got a couple extra tracks, because usually even the single would have maybe like four tracks total, mm-hmm. maybe a live version, and then something else. So yeah, if you could find a really underground record store and somebody in a basement somewhere that just was reeked of odd smells. <laughs> hmm, what's going on in the back room? You could find something like this. And that was always the one that had the cool posters and the and the uh, stickers and everything too. So yeah, I don't I guess we just weren't really ready to absorb this in the in nineteen eighty seven when it came out in the United States. You know, not not on the mainstream, no. No, I think they had a pretty solid following in the United States, but yeah, it wasn't like that big pop success from other bands coming from certainly not the Duran Durans of the world. You know, they, that that was that's totally different. But even, you know, smaller bands like, you know, Big Country or Spando Ballet or any of those bands that came, Eurythmics were huge, I guess, eventually. But a lot of those bands coming over, yeah, they got a lot of airplay on MTV. They got a lot of play on pop and rock radio. Uh, But these guys never saw it in the U.S. I mean, I don't know if it was they had bad management uh, in the U.S. or like you said, America was just not ready for this on the big scale. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, unlike U2... It seems like it was just Marr and Morrissey, right? Like the other, the rest of the band was kind of, they were just kind of there along for the ride. So in order to, in order to be successful in the United States, you really have to promote yourself. You have, or you have to have somebody you can promote. Look at this person, you know, or look at these two guys. It didn't seem like either one of them really wanted to do that. Right. And I think at this point in time, they were kind of maybe on the outs with each other or starting to be on the outs with each other. Probably so. It seems like they both can be a little bit difficult to work with sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and Morris, he's kind of famous for that, uh, you know, and, 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 and just all the stuff that you have to go into to be in a band. Yeah. Yeah. This is their third of four albums, basically, um, released in 1986. They worked on a lot of it in 1985. And I think they released some of the songs that, that would wind up on The Queen Is Dead as B-sides to some of those non-album singles we're talking about during like 1985. Uh, like Ask. Ask was kind of a... A good size hit for them. I think I first heard that on Louder Than Bombs, which is a bit of a compilation of some of their singles. I'm like, well, that's a pretty good one. All right. Yeah. And I think um, some of the more B-sides on that before they released it. And it, it took them a while to get this one together, although it sounds like some of the songs came together very easily for them. Yeah, it's Morrissey doing all the lyrics and the singing, Mar doing all the music. The other two, Mike Joyce and the drums and Andy Rourke on the bass, they're a nice rhythm section. They may not have written any of the song, but and there's big controversy about that has been over the years in Smith's land and among them. And that's part of the reason why we'll never see the Smiths together again, ever. We can get into that later. But if you listen to them on this album, there's some really nice bass stuff on here. And I think Mike Joyce is a very solid drummer. And it's odd to me that those two, I know they don't write songs, but they didn't really go on to do a whole lot after the Smiths. Hmm. Maybe they got burned out. I know that the, if you want to talk about the, the tracks here, the first one, The Queen is Dead, mm-hmm. that really sounded like something that perhaps maybe the cult worked on or could have worked on. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't have the big Billy Duffy riff to it, 
but the bass and the drums definitely sound like I don't know if there there was a like a movement at that point in time, like the mid '80s in London, to have a sound. But it definitely seems like they could have been contemporaries. They were on Sire Records, which the Cult was on, also. Yeah. I, I don't. It doesn't say anything in here. I was kind of reading through this. They never said they were fans or contemporary. I mean, they were contemporaries, but right. it just kind of sounds like maybe there was a kind of a, a permeating sound around London at that time with the bass and the drums, and then you threw the guitar in, not as heavy on this one. And then I was wondering too. I don't know. English people are weird. They have <laughs> way to well, piss have, off like the, our second biggest market there, Jackson. Thanks a lot. Well, it's <laughs> they have a they have a very love hate relationship with the monarchy and the queen. Mm-hmm. They every they love the queen, but then they hate the monarchy at the same time. It's it's a very it's an interesting relationship, and I think this this song kind of goes into it. You know, you're tied to your the, the mother's apron strings, and it's like, hmm, you, you, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about your own mom? Are we talking about the queen, the country? What's what's going on here? Uh, well, yeah, you hate the war and you love the troops, right? Uh, right. You right. Love, love, yeah. love the old lady, but you hate this kind of institution that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense anymore. But yeah, I guess I guess I, I hear you. Well, well, you know, and I've talked to a couple of guys that that you know have lived their entire lives in London or in England, and it's you know you you pay that you pay your taxes, you pay your money, you see this these people that have this life life that you'll never attain, mm-hmm. you know. Fa- but so you're you're kind of angry at that, but at the same time you love the whole idea of you know having a monarchy and you know you are this great country that's been around for so long. Yes, it, yeah, I, it's it it runs hot and cold. Indeed, and then yes, as you say, the, and the, the title track, the Queen is dead, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's a rocking little number on there. It's it, it's got some great. More guitar work, you know, a little chugging there. My notes on it. It starts with an old World War One sing-along song, you know, <laughs> Take Me Back to Dear Old Blighty. Uh, that's a very kind of English thing to put on there. But then, yeah, Joyce comes in with those heavy drums. Doom, 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 doom. Great way to start an album. And apparently the, the lyrics, some of them were inspired by the last exit to Brooklyn. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. But you also hear what sounds like keyboards. I think it's actually like syn- synthesized guitar, some synth- synthesized guitar stringing on there. I, oh, I'm not okay. sure. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, very interesting. And yeah, you're kind of talking down on Charles like he, he's never going to get out of his mother's shadow. And maybe he should put on her dress and her wedding veil. <laughs> He's still trying to get out of her shadow. He's, it's 35 <laughs> years later, and he's still kind of waiting for her to, to croak so he gets his shot, which is terrible. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I think Mar, I think Johnny Marr is big on this. It's it's a pretty long song. I mean, it's the longest song of the album. The whole thing's only 37 minutes. you got 10 songs, so it's over six. But, I, I, I mean, as far as the album goes, yeah, it's a, it's a good way to kind of come out running a little bit, come out with a charge, and Morrissey's kind of got some of his legendary snark on there, yes? Yeah. He's talking about, yeah, he's talking about the, you know, you go past the pub that wrecks your body and the church only wants your money. And it's, you know, yeah, right off the bat, you're just, you're just upset and you're just going to tell everybody about it. Just a malcontent. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and I understand maybe he's a little different and maybe he was a beacon to people um, who are a little different because, you know, he came out as celibate, had a girlfriend, yeah. but they were celibate. Um, and he called himself a non-practicing bisexual, which is an, another odd thing to hear in the early 80s or whatever. Meanwhile, you know, over here, it was illegal to be homosexual until like 1968 from from Oscar Wilde's time in the late 1890s or whatever, which ran him out because he, he was brought to court for, for homosexual stuff and they were going to ring him up. And so he just moved away. I think he went to France, at least initially. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if you don't believe me, you've seen The Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch where he plays Alan Turing, man who basically invented uh, modern yeah. computing, helped everyone win World War II. But because he was gay, they arrested him and fined him and chemically castrated him. Yeesh. And he committed suicide. That was his reward for, for winning World War II, I guess. Hey, good for you. But in 68 oh. or so, that law changed. But so if he's saying this in 81, 82, 83 or something like that, that's really not that long since it was not just looked upon him with a bad light. It was illegal, man. And they could take it away from you, I guess. So if you figure that you have that 
in your makeup and you have to walk around all day kind of hiding this or you mm-hmm. know it, yeah I, you'd kind of be a little bit upset i would imagine you kind of just you know you see the rest of the world going by and people being in love and living their lives and you know you have to be in this not denial but you, you have to just keep it on the qt and, and you have to keep your wits about rough. you right you, yeah correct you're always kind of on alert, right? Yeah. Right. And and especially, we'll get into this later too, especially when you get into the press conferences mm. and, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's throwing darts at you from the audience or whatever. And they, anything that you say, any, like you said, any slip up and boom, they'll cut you up. Yeah. No, thanks. Especially in this country, man, the press can be kind of ruthless. Oof. Yeah, and and so then yeah, so you get, you get a chip on your shoulder, and you want to push back against all that, and so you sing about the Daily Mail being sick offense to the royal family, and every time mm-hmm. they you know walk down the steps or what they're wearing, which brooch she has on this day, whatever it may be, and then you're constantly asking him, "Are you gay? You're gay, aren't you? Tell us that you're gay." Right. He's like, "Hey, yeah. whoa, what? Huh? I'm a human being, and I can you know uh, define myself the way I want to, you know." So I I kind of get that, but yeah. The fact is, Johnny Marr had to answer about it, you know. It's, it's one thing for you to do a, an interview. It's like, hey, your buddy Jackson, he was he was with Elle McPherson last night. He's like, oh, yeah, Jackson and Elle are having a good time. It's another. It's like, yes, he's celibate, and he hasn't participated in sexuality for some time. I'm like, you have to talk about that in an interview. I'm like, God, that's kind of different. Yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing, too, is, you know, you, you figure, look at it from Johnny Marr's perspective. You sit, you sat there and you crank this record out. You know, you put this thing out that you think, wow, this we hit a home run with this. We hit it on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. We did a great job. And that's that's what you want to talk about. You don't want to talk about the record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a new record out. Great. Anyway, let's talk about, yeah, I can imagine. So then you get, so maybe that's part of the problem too, is, you know, it becomes the really kind of new, no fault of his own, the Morrissey show. And you're like, I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about the songs we wrote and the tour we're going to go on. But, right. oh, here we go again. This is all you want to hear about. Yeah, you saw that in Bohemian Rhapsody where they had the press conference. And all right. four members of the band are there, and they're asking Freddie about, you know, who's he sleeping with, or is he gay, or, you know, da-da-da. And Brian's like, does anyone want to talk about the album? <laughs> you know, we're here as a courtesy to you. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it, it's odd. You know, I mean, I think Culture Club went through some of the same stuff, right? I mean, as soon as somebody's gay, that's all they want to ask you about. You well, I mean, take one look at Boy George, and you'd have to say, "Now wait a minute, no, 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 it's fine. Come on now." I know, yeah, he's, he's got to be, doesn't he? <laughs> Let's ask him. And of course, we were young when all this was going on. I mean, the Smiths are breaking out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old in America. You know, we don't, it was a very different place back then, right? I mean, you didn't even talk about being gay. And if you did, it was probably from older kids in the locker room just trying to make fun of you, you know, or trying to make fun of little kids, right? You know, it's it, it wasn't like a real thing, but obviously it is. And it may take some growing up to understand, yeah, there are people who are different. But I think the the overall thing is just, I can imagine how it would be difficult. You were talking about Queen to have this thing mm-hmm. that you want to promote. I we did this, we want to promote it, and and no one really wants to talk about. It. They really want to talk about this other thing that really doesn't mean anything. Exactly. It's just you're just looking for a salacious headline. That's all you're looking for. Right. And we'll get into that later in this record when basically Morrissey is just giving everybody the finger <laughs> at that point in time, saying that I'm not. You want to play this game? Fine. I'll just be a complete ass to everyone all the time. That's right. Right. Which I kind of dig. I kind of like that. I kind of like that thing where it's, you have, at some point in time, you have to be yourself and you have to just say enough is enough. And mm-hmm. if you want, okay, you want to go there? Fine. I'll play your game, but you're not going to like how this is going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. And good for him, you know, and he, yeah. he's continued to do his own thing for a long time, man. I mean, he's, he has worked quite a bit as far as releasing records and touring, maybe not showing up every single night, but <laughs> But but He's touring, an you know, yeah. But all right, so yeah, you kind of come in with the epic, the big one, the punch in the mouth, and then you get this odd little number. Frankly, Mister Shankly, it's almost a comedy number. It it is, and it's one of those ones where you can listen to it and you say, okay, we 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 change things up now, and it's nice change of pace off of the first one because that was kind of heavy, and mm-hmm. now you kind of got this. Bup, 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 but then again, you get into it and you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is not a happy song. This allegedly, mm-hmm. I don't want to get sued here. Allegedly, they say it's about the record owner of Rough Trade. Jeff but Travis. the band has categorically denied it. Let me say that again. Categorically denied it. Yeah. 
However, it yes, it's a, I'm tired of playing this game. You're hosing me for, I don't know what the contract looked like, but yeah, it, you're a piece of garbage. I don't like you. I'm not playing your game anymore, but disguised in this happy-go-lucky package. Right. Although, did he write him a poem? Because he, I didn't realize he wrote such bloody awful poetry. Is that really related to an actual poem? Or was he, did he ever say, try these lyrics? And he was like, ugh. Get away from me. Yeah, maybe. Or, you know what? Hey, guys, I write songs, too. Here, check this out. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then the refrain is the fame, fame, fatal fame. It can play hideous tricks on the brain, and I'd rather be famous than righteous or holy. So I'm going to play the game, right? I'm, I'm turning away, but no, I'm not, because this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is a... That's the bitch of it. I mean, you want to be you want to be famous. You want to be a rock star. Mm -hmm. That's that's what you got in this for. And there's a great Gene Simmons has got a great quote. He's like, anybody who says they got into rock and roll to not be rich and famous is lying. Lying. So I yeah, it's it, and, and and again, I don't it, you know you sign the record contract when you're young. Maybe you don't know what you're doing. Sure. Maybe you don't have the best or any legal representation. You start to make it. The money starts coming in. And wait a minute, you brought in. How much? And I only keep this. Wait, well, you have to understand taxes and fees and everything on this deal. Hmm. Yeah. Now I now I'm getting. At some point in time, you realized I'm getting hosed on this deal. Right. But then they stuck with Rough Trade. Well, no, they did leave Rough Trade to go to EMI for Strange Ways. Here we come. Mm -hmm. But then that was that. <laughs> so. And they had to kind of go their separate ways. And, and, of course, Johnny Marr and Morrissey have been very busy with all sorts of stuff over the last 30-plus years since they broke up. Hey, guys, this is Ryan Condal, the executive producer, writer, creator of House of the Dragon. And you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. And you should download and subscribe. Keep doing that. But let's, let's keep going on the record. Okay. The third song, I know it's over. It's a little bit of a whiny, nasally song, but it's, it's nice and slow. There's a lot of space in it. And yes, you're talking about it sounds like suicide and loneliness, but it might be his best vocal performance. And I, I even read that somewhere that somebody's like, you know, this has got to be way up there in, in his tenure with the Smiths as far as making the noise with his voice. This might be his best. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really, I think that, that I could agree with that. And I also think that the band really sounds tight on this. And so this could be kind of the, I mean, I know there's only one album left after this. I mean, could this be the best record they put out? I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely sounds like it's the, they're super tight. And mm -hmm. yeah, the, the vocals are great. And he's got some great, it is, it is kind of whiny. But then he's got some good stuff in here, too, Yeah, about how uh, it takes strength to be gentle and kind, and it's easy to hate. Mm -hmm. And again, are we going back to the... He's an outsider. He was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you're dealing with the world, it's easy to pick up on the on the thing that, oh, you know, I mean, you, you were talking about that when you were a kid. Oh, that kid's, you know, short, or, you know, he's got weird glasses on or something. Right. You know, it's, yeah, that's easy. But, you know, so I think he's trying to say... It, Let's just try and be kind to each other, people. And and that's a good thing, yeah. No, and and he's, yeah. he's, I don't know if he's talking to himself, but he's like, if you're so very entertaining, if you're so funny and clever, then why are you on your own? Why do you sleep alone, Mr. Big Time, yeah. you know? so. But at the end, when you say, I can feel the soil falling over my head, I'm like, geez, pretty dark. And what's kind of a nice, pretty song, I think there's more synth in there from Johnny. But you're right, Jack. I mean, in my opinion, this is the best album they ever did. And it's weird. I mean, what if they had just made more albums instead of just putting out all the singles and all the B-sides? Mm -hmm. What if they just made more albums? I think it would have... It may have looked different, but as far as the best collection on one LP, which is the way they're mostly sold at the time, this was, in my opinion, the best. That's why I said, if we're going to do a Smiths album, this is the one we've got to do. Yeah. And and again, going back to why this was not a bigger hit in the United States, yeah, we can't take the, you know, the, I can feel the dirt falling over my head. Like, we need, you know, rock and roll all night and party every day. Yeah. That's what we need in the United States. Yeah, and if you want to talk about death, and you have to do it in like a death metal kind of way, man. Correct, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's 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 not like a it's it's a melancholy love song, but it's a death song. It's yeah, but it's it's very it's there's a lot of great stuff in there. It's just yeah. I understand why it's not mainstream, why it's not on the top of the charts, <laughs> at least in America. And then well, and then well, and so they go on the next one. Never had no one ever. 
Now this is kind of even slower with not, even more space in it. Like there's there's a little good strumming by Mar, but there's not a ton in it, and it's just to me it's not that good. It's kind of it's kind of my least favorite maybe on the album. This one is slow. I I literally wrote down I think he's alone question mark because I mean that's I'm alone I'm alone. okay we get it again this this was never gonna play on on U.S. radio it just wasn't mm-hmm. we're not. We can't take this kind of sadness, but I think that's the, that's maybe an English thing too. You know, it's, it's rainy, it's cold over there. You just kind of have this, you get into this funk that we don't put up with in the United States. I don't know. I've I've been in some funks in the United States. And I I think that uh, (laughs) a lot of people, look, it it was, I think I saw an article where it said, yeah, Morrissey was coming out and talking about all these different and and kind of being the persona of all these different kind of LGBTQ kind of uh, characters or personas in a time when it wasn't that far removed in England, at least from that being, you know, not just taboo, but illegal, but it made him an odd kind of heartthrob is I think the word they use. And he and he was and still is nice looking Irish guy, right? But it wasn't just people who were sexually attracted to him that I think he became a hero to. It was people who were kind of in that community or uh, were on the margins for one reason or another and could see this person going through some stuff and then they could relate to that even if they weren't relating to the exact same thing that he was going through. Correct. And let's face it, for a lot of ladies that I knew at that time, like the late 80s, early 90s, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's a good-looking guy. He's a li- he's very mysterious. Oh, what do you mean he's celibate? Oh, he can't be. He's so and so. Oh, that makes him even more attractive. Right. He's <laughs> elusive. And yeah. oh, come on now. Exactly. I've got a, I think I've got an ACDC t-shirt. Doesn't that make me cool? No, get out of here. Right. Yes. Exactly. Strange. But I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I was I was wondering why were gay men so attracted to Judy Garland? Now, of course, she's a big drag queen favorite or what what was it about that? And then I, I read an article or, or even I think I saw a thing on you know TV about Judy. And I don't know, it was like when she was performing in New York in the 50s and she was having issues with her, you know, her pills and her booze and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so you could see that she was in real pain and she was hiding this. But she's still going out performing, you know, these classic songs that they, you know, loved as kids or whatever. And and that's what they were doing in, you know, in mainstream society. Because the 50s was kind of like, it's mom and dad. You know, mom's got the pearls with the vacuum. Dad comes home, sits on the couch and smokes his pipe. And so they were had to keep themselves quiet and had their own pain. And that's how they related to Judy. So I don't know whether it was your LGBTQ or you're marginalized for some physical reason, or, or whatever it might have been, I think people saw that in Morrissey. He can convey his pain in a way that I can't, so I, I dig that. That's that's my and theory. You know, and, and maybe, too, you know, you're talking about, you know, people that are, that have, I guess, what you would consider alternate lifestyles, I guess, if that's even still a term. I don't know. But it could even be, you're just a kid who's in a crappy situation. I don't like being at my at, at the house. I, I, you know, my parents don't get me for whatever reason, or they're not really that cool. Mm-hmm. They not empathetic. Really, yeah, exactly. So he, here's a guy who, yeah, he's he's talking to me, and I can relate to what he's saying, even if you can't relate to everything that he's going through. You get that, like, yeah, you know what? This does stink. Here's somebody who understands me. Nah, I'm gonna listen to this record again. Yeah. And yeah, and then they go into Cemetery Gates. Maybe spelled a little bit differently than you might normally see cemetery spelled, but it's it's an upbeat song, right? We're back to upbeat after the two kind of very slow, maybe even downer songs. And yeah. it's got good kind of upbeat guitar from Johnny. This was the B-side to Ask, which I was talking about earlier, the non-album single. But it's about two friends walking in a graveyard, one lecturing the other on plagiarism, which I know we used to do for countless hours in college. Jackson... You know, why, why would we go to school in Florida and be, you know, on the lake or the beach or any of that when we could just walk through a cemetery and, uh, you know, talk about heavy uh, stuff? The great works of English poets. Now, was Morrissey getting into a little bit of trouble for this? Does, was he, was there some flack about him ripping off? 
perhaps works of literature or something. I, I thought I read that somewhere that yeah, I, it I, static I, for that. Yeah, and so that's uh, kind of you know pushing back on that a little bit. You know, and, and I think they they he, he plagiarizes something else. You know, while, while he's doing it, right? Yeah. So good for him. It, yeah, and his thing was you know once it's out there in the world. I mean, if it's that old and it's been a million times, I mean, it's kind of part of the culture or the part of the the lexicon of the uh, people that use it. So am, am I really, am I really ripping that off or am I kind of just, you know, tipping my cap to those guys? Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And he, look, and the fact of the matter is he, he's a good lyricist. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a little sometimes it, it's meaning a couple different things sometimes it's very obvious and it's right up in your face what this means but but that's okay you know uh, he, he's talking about stuff that not everybody talks about and I think that that is cool and you know I saw in a there's a movie about his life I think it's called Morrissey and I, I got it on Netflix or, or one of those and they would show him hanging out with like I don't know if she was his girlfriend or you know just a, a friend. But yeah, they would go to the cemetery because it is quiet and, you know, people kind of tend to leave you alone and it's it's usually pretty beautiful. So why not hang out there? So, yeah, that's that's I think it's something from his life in a couple different ways. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And I like that. I like the line about what, what does he say about how Wild is on his side? You're on Kate's and Yates are on your side. Mm-hmm. And Wild is on mine. So, you know, that's another one of those wink, wink. Yes. What am I saying? Wink, wink. Yeah, I guess Johnny wrote this in his kitchen, and Morrissey was there, and he just played it for him, and and Mor- and Johnny didn't think it was that good, but Morrissey's like, no, 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 that's that's good. I I, I make some out of that. That's good. So I mean, it just shows that they, as a songwriting team, who did opposites, right? But they still balanced each other to get some really good tracks together. Well, and that, that was kind of one of the things that I was listening to too at the beginning is that it doesn't like if you listen to the music, his vocals don't really go with it. Mm-hmm. They don't really like he has that like kind of like that almost ethereal like oh, he's coming up and down and you wouldn't think I mean it does go together but they make it work you so it, to your point you've got two guys who are kind of working opposite of each other to make something that turns out well exactly and that would be the end of proverbial side one however I always had this on CD I never did have it on tape or, or okay so you just kept rolling into the next so one so I just rolled right into Big Mouth Strikes again uh, and now this is as we've discussed so many times usually when you start off a new album or a new side to an album you kind of have to kick it off a little bit right and that's what Big Mouth is again because there's a lot of pretty wicked Johnny Marr guitar chugging along on this again it could be very acoustic with more electric in the middle but he's he's really ripping it along on this one I don't know what do you think of this one. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, this was the single, so I kind of I knew that going into it, or a single off the record. Yeah, th- this was it was faster. It was a nice way to start what would be side B, and and if you have it on CD, it's almost like you kind of it kind of fades off a little bit. Okay, boom, now we're back into it again. You mm-hmm. don't really have the two sides, but th- this is kind of the second act, I guess. Yeah, if I wrote down faster, the nice guitar riff, the backing vocals are very strange. Very odd. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I have odd background vocals from yeah. Mar and I don't know what system he used or, or tool toy he used to make it sound like that but yeah it's weird but but the middle and Joyce uh, is it yeah. brings it back in I thought Rourke was good on this one too and and Johnny's work is as well I mean yeah it's it's pretty rocket this one and it's it's it was a single Rough Trade wanted to put there's a light that never goes out which we'll get to and the Smiths didn't want to do that in fact Johnny said I always liked the idea that there was a song on the album that should have been a single but wasn't and I I'd love that too I love finding tracks like that we've talked about that before where you're like why what why was this not a single this was a great this is a great track it, it had the you know the catch to it the, mm-hmm. the lyrics were great why did they never put this out as a single because maybe you want to keep that to yourself yeah you don't need to have everything put out there and I wrote down on this one you know now he knows how Joan of Arc felt yeah again again we're back to just getting roasted by the press yeah and roasted literally <laughs> <laughs> goodness yeah yeah and I would like to dedicate this to a certain science teacher who called me big mouth on the playground once in about the seventh or eighth grade, something like that. I hope you have fun grading those uh, leaf collections, little twerp. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you. <laughs> By the way, do you remember, you're a big Howard Stern fan. Do you remember Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf? Of course. Yes. <laughs> I was just remembering him the other day. He would be on for like an hour and a half. 
And of course, he'd be wasted, even though it's like seven in the morning or something like that. When he correct, started. correct. And he, he people would call in a lot of other little people to say, you know, what a bad role model he is, and he shouldn't be doing this. He's making us all look bad, or you know, get a life, you know. And he wanted to tell them to go f themselves, right? But you can't do that on the on the line. So he would always say, "Go have sex with yourself." <laughs> and so, and so at, at the beginning of the hour, two hours, he was there. Someone calling, ah, you're a jerk. He's like, eh, go have sex with yourself. Eh, go have sex with yourself. <laughs> but then after like an hour and a half or two hours, you know, he'd be slowing down because the drink was starting to wear on him, you know. And by the end, he'd be like, go have sex with yourself. Because he would keep, he would keep drinking the whole time. Yeah. He's this tiny little dude. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't weigh a whole lot, so you keep pouring alcohol in there. And... <laughs> but just from now on, Jackson... If if we remind if we hear any reviews or somebody says something dumb or there's lyrics we don't like, if I break out, go oh. have <laughs> sex with yourself, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, and so do our loyal listeners. How, how, however many we have left after this one. <laughs> All right, where are we now? Where the, are we? The boy with the thorn in his side, and I, you know, just the title alone, I'm like that's the song Morrissey wrote. You don't, I don't even have to hear it. I have to see it on a Smith's album or a Morrissey album. That just sounds like him. Uh, yes. So if they don't believe me now, when will they ever? And so again, we're hammering it home. He's just not. He's not in a good place with the with the media, with the anybody in the press, really. No, but they did make a video out of this. It's kind of their first video, and and like and, and the Smiths. You know, that's another reason they didn't catch on. You know, huge. They had videos from like them being on top of the pops. There's an amazing video for How Soon Is Now, which is my favorite Smith song. Okay, yeah. Part of it's because of the video. There's a girl in that video with kind of blonde bobbed hair. Probably a young right. student model actress type person. If you saw her back in the day as a teenager on this song, on this video, you fell in love with her. Okay. No one knows who she is. Interesting. Just a one-shot deal, huh? No, like she was oh. a model or an actress or something, and it was like the student did this thing. And apparently the band and Morrissey, they hated the video. It was like, you can't put this out. This sucks kind of thing. The fact of the matter is that video played a big role in that song being huge for them and lives on in movies and TV especially in the U.S. to this day. And it's shocking to me that no one's ever come forward like, yeah, that was me. Or like, no, I know that girl and this is her. No one knows who she is. I don't see how, if you have in the 40s, I get it. But but in the 80s, how do you not know who this girl is? How does no one know who she is? Maybe they do and they're just not telling you. It's a mystery. But, you know, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know why they didn't like videos because that was – and I don't know. Maybe there were people that were just like, this is dumb. It's a fad. It's going to pass. But in the mid, the early to mid-80s, that's how you – especially in the United States, how you made your mark on things. And, yeah, there were people that weren't buying into it. Yeah, and, you know, maybe – and rough trade. Maybe, you know, they were kind of in over their heads. They couldn't afford stuff like that. I don't know. The Smiths just didn't want to – and then even when they started to make them, they weren't really in them. You know, they, they would mm-hmm. kind of be – background or like in some sepia or you know cigarette you know kind of hazy thing where you kind of see in between some fog or whatever moving around a little on stage i don't know but i know that's the maybe that's the we're you know we're not we're not pretty boy rockers we're not duran duran we're not gonna no i'm not gonna get up there and dance around in outfits that you have picked out for me we're rockers we don't do that who knows who knows but i mean i think again guitar from johnny marr is good it's got some delicate pieces there there must be some overdubs in there because like I definitely hear a couple of guitars at a couple of times, but mm-hmm. I think the music is great. This is where I'm like, is Morrissey whining? I don't even know. <laughs> You're just tired at this point. I, I am a little. I, I, I start. I, I am a little bit tired, you know, because in the next one, Vicar and a Tutu, kind of tongue in cheek, kind of not. I've heard them say this is kind of a throwaway. It's like we got enough good stuff on this album as it is. We we don't need to make another great one. But it's it's a little boompa boompa boompa. You know, it, it's upbeat. It's, yeah, it almost sounds like a country. It could be a country yeah. vibe, country song. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I like this one because it is kind of just, it's just light and silly. Yeah. It's just a nice, 
okay, we've been whining a lot about different stuff. Let's just have a, you know, I don't know how they recorded this. You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that they did, you know, like you were saying, at Mars House. Mm-hmm. You know, is this just one of those? Oh, you know, what about this? Oh, bickering until, ah, ha, ha, ha. Just, let's just play something fun. And it is kind of fun. Yeah. It's got a little swing to it. It's got an upbeat. I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Especially after all this whining. <laughs> and then, you know, and then there is a light that never goes out. This is an incredible song. Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful song. The music to me is is unbelievable. Obviously, the lyrics can be a little dark, and they're a little. I mean, after kind of a fun tongue in cheek song with Victor Vicar and a tutu, this is obviously a little more serious. But when you're talking about if a double decker bus crashes into us to die by your side, is it a heavenly way to die? It's it's a beautiful sentiment, but it's also kind of you're seeing about getting crushed by a bus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's a lot. It, it, there's more stuff in here, which is cool too. They've got the strings. You got the flute, so it kind of it makes it a bigger song. But yeah, the the lyrics are they're pretty heavy duty. Yeah. But again, are we are we talking about a guy who he doesn't really feel like he fits in anywhere? And I think this song probably resonates a lot with people too who maybe weren't going through exactly the same thing as him, mm-hmm. but had like this kind of like because what does he talk about? I I can't uh, I don't want to go home because I don't have one. Yeah, I, I think yeah. when he moved to London from Manchester because they're from Manchester, and when they came to London. He moves to a place and he doesn't know anybody and he was very lonely. He's like, if somebody had just taken me out and driven me around the city, it would have been an amazing night. So, this, you know, and a lot of people look at, I moved to London two and a half years ago and realized, you know, I'm working from home and, and my daughter's in school and my wife's at work and I'm like, I don't have anyone to hang out with. You know, I, I, I don't have anyone to show me around this city. Uh, yeah, I guess it could be kind of lonely for sure. But I think Johnny knew how special the song was overall between mm-hmm. what what Morrissey was doing and, and the melody that he made. So he pulled out all the stops, putting in all the different, because he tried to keep keyboards out of a lot of this stuff on their records, but like, this one, let's, let's put it all in there. And like that flute could have even been keyboard. I mean, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of well, good that's what, stuff. Okay. That's what it sounded like. Now, was there something here about how they had to spend more money on this to get the strings in there? And the, the record company was like, ah, no more money. We can't spend money. So they really had to fight for it to keep that stuff in. Well, that's, that's good. And that's good for Johnny Marr for pushing that, you know, yeah. because they made an amazing song. Again, the record company wanted to put it out as a single, and the Smiths said, "No, that's not the one we want to do as a single." They did record, they did play it live a little bit, but I and then it was a re, it was eventually released as a single in like 1992 when the band was long broken up, which is kind of odd. It has obviously gone on to be in in movies and, and things like that to kind of keep it alive. I swear to God that I saw a video on this song once, it, and it it may have been recorded like the next year or something like that. It was like the four of them, and it was kind of on a sound stage or you know, and, but clean. And maybe there was kind of a false window or something behind them. I don't know. I can see it in my mind's eye right now. And I looked all over YouTube, the internet. I couldn't find it. I only saw it on MTV like once. And I looked all over the internet for all their videos. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm conflating it with another of their videos. And I'm thinking it was that, but it was another song. Everything I saw did not have it in there either. So maybe I'm insane. Maybe I it was a different band. And for whatever reason, I've associated with the Smiths all these years. But I promise you, I would go to my grave saying, yes, they made a video for there is a light that never goes out, and I saw it, and I can't find it. It's bizarre that I can't find it or any. Yeah, especially now, man. YouTube, you can find pretty much anything. Yeah. Huh. So maybe, maybe yeah. I've lost it. I don't know. But uh, or maybe it was some kind of weird, like one-off promotional thing. I don't know. Um, I can imagine that when they, when the band did break up, the the uh, record company had the rights to it. So then they said, well, you know, let's try and put some stuff together. Is there anything that we have in the can that we can, mm-hmm. you know, put back out? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. And, may, and maybe I'm just off. I don't know. Um, but uh, but it, I think it's a beautiful song. Uh, and, you know, at a time when I was like listening to R.E.M. and stuff like that, that this this song and a lot of stuff on this album, it kind of fit in with it, right? It doesn't have a lot of solos. It's got a lot of nice guitar work, but it's not right. the kind of blues-based guitar work, hard rock guitar work that we're used to. And I thought this song was just a standout. And to me, it still is. And I don't think you can make a Smith's Greatest Hits without including this one, even though it maybe didn't chart because it wasn't necessarily released. This is a this is a great song. Yeah, and it's it's 
it's cool too that it's it's almost at the end of the record so it's you know you got to keep going nope keep going keep tunneling though you'll find some cool stuff at the end it's not it's not a throwaway track well and in my opinion it should have been the last song on the record uh, okay because it's just it fades at the end of the song too so you got this beautiful yeah. song yes it's some heavy stuff beautiful song and it fades and it should have just faded out the last song some girls are bigger than others i'm not saying it shouldn't be on the record i'm just saying it should not have been last you could have put it after vicar or you could have broken it up some other way but obviously this is another silly fun song i guess <laughs> and i i looked i don't know i did i, I looked on the on the intranets here for something about the rolling stones I didn't really see anything, but like you, you called it. You called it. Some girls are bigger than others. Not a, that's not anything to the Rolling Stones. I mean, come on. They had a whole record called Some Girls, and all right, well, that's fine. Maybe everyone's not a huge Stones fan, but I don't know. Be something, some kind of connection to that. Like, I mean, it, it's a good song. I mean, it's not. It's not real heavy duty like the other one, so it's kind of nice to get a little break here at the end of the record. The guitar stuff is nice. It almost sounds. It almost sounds. It Almost sounds a little bit Mark Knopflery, almost like kind of like that picking, floating feel to it. I don't know. That's what I got off of listening to it. I, I put that it was really good. I didn't get necessarily that, but I, I can tell that like Noel Gallagher, who's also from Manchester, to him I think Johnny Marr was a bit of a god growing up, uh, and of course he's he's worked with Johnny in the in the past here, and Johnny himself has a new double LP coming out here in in February. Uh, so he's continuing to work, but yeah, I, I, I can kind of trace some Noel stuff to, to some of the guitar okay. work in, in this. And it's got some some strange little effects to it, right? I mean, in the beginning, it's it's loud. There's kind of an odd fade out, but it doesn't yeah. go completely away. And then it fades back in at the beginning. And then at some point, it sounds like Morris, he's, he's singing through a megaphone or he's singing through some kind of voice box or, or something. I don't know. I, I listen to it in this day and age because my wife heard some of it. She's like, what is he singing about? You know, it's like, I'm like, you know, you're right. Would you get canceled for singing a song like this today? You're talking about some girls are bigger than others. Or would you be, you know, celebrated as a hero for celebrating them? I I don't know. And it depends on if I sang it, I would certainly be called a sexist and a dick or whatever I am. But because Morrissey's on the LGBTQ side... Would he be, you know, would, would he be given a pass or would he be seen? Oh, see, he's celebrating these outside women, these women who maybe are, are marginalized or whatever. I, I, I was kind of curious about what if that came out today? How would people feel about it? I think it's I think you nailed it on the head. It depends on who did it. If it was somebody who was on the inside, then yes, it would be a celebration. If it was somebody on the outside, it would be horrendous and you wouldn't have a career anymore. I think it's interesting that your wife you know, picked up on that and was offended, it seems like. Women's um, issues are very important to her as a woman and the mother of a daughter. So, you know, you better be saying positive thing about women or else you mother. Beep! <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of encapsulate this, the Smiths are a weird deal because for every band that you said, they'll never get back together. And they do. They never got back together. And I don't think they, I mean, at this point in time, they never will. Never. And and I think that that is kind of sad because there's a whole you know generation of people now who are listening to this record that will never get to see them. Yeah, two but generations, it's also, really. <laughs> okay. And, but it's kind of cool because that was it. They, they don't want to, they don't want to go back and kind of retread anything. Mm-hmm. They, they just, they, that was it. Beginning, middle and end. Don't talk to me again. Out. Yeah, well, and the fact of the matter is Morrissey obviously went on to have a very big solo career. Johnny Marr has gone on to do a lot of work and play with a lot of different bands and produce, write songs and make records. And the other two guys really haven't done much at all. And eventually, when they re- and, and of course, all the songwriting would go to Morrissey and, and Marr. But because when the other guys realized, God, we don't get anything for being the Smiths anymore. Lawsuits eventually happened. They tried to get more money. I think maybe one was semi-successful, but, but at the end of the day, it, it wasn't in that they didn't really get that much if they got anything at all. And it also really pissed off Morrissey to the point where it's like, I'm never... And Morrissey, as you can tell with all his songs, is the kind of guy that can hold a grudge and he can afford to. 
And, and so, yeah, I do commend him on like saying, hey, $50 million to reunite the Smiths. He's like, nope, nope, not for me. But but you're right in that so many people have never had the chance to see them. They're one of those kind of outside opportunities for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and I think because of their lack of commercial success in the U.S., they won't get in. But it, And it's so U.S. oriented anyway. Like, Tom Waits with not a whole lot of commercial success. Okay, maybe he gets in, but he's also yeah. been doing it for 50 years. Whereas the Smiths, they were, there's a lot of bands that were together for a few years, made a few albums, had some impact, and then totally went away. We can't just start letting all those bands in. And, and then, you know, if you're going to say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you got to figure, like, what is this going to be? Is anybody going to show up? Right. If they show up, are they even going to talk to each other? They're not going to play, They're certainly you know, play, at the right? deal. So it's probably not even worth it for them. They, and, and like we've talked about before, people in the UK, they don't care about the Rock and Roll Hall they of really Fame. Don't. I mean, if they get it, I'm sure they're like, oh, I'm so excited. But they don't really. It, it means nothing to them. I agree. Yeah, it's that's true. So, yeah, I, I'd say the odds of all but you know what the thing is we never got led zeppelin back but we got a couple things from jimmy page and robert plant together mm-hmm. could morrissey yeah. and johnny marr do something together at some point doesn't have to be the smiths could just be the two of them and get a killer bass sec uh, rhythm section and uh well wouldn't that just be close enough for everybody yeah and, and what <laughs> What makes me sad about this whole thing is, you know, you were talking about them writing in Mars house, just mm-hmm. sitting around at one point in time, they were friends. They were two dudes who were just, you know, they had these ideas and they could work together and put them out for a couple of, could you, could you find that again for a little while? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like you know, something is missed there. Something is missed yeah. there. I'm, I'm okay with the Smiths never have getting back together to do anything, I think it kind of adds to their mystique. I think it's really helped them in some ways. And I'd rather see not see them be bad or, or average. Right. Uh, and, and Morrissey has, for years, continued to do Smith's songs. I think he's down to maybe one or two these days. I don't Because he has such a huge catalog anyway. He's not compelled to do so much. Like Peter Gabriel does zero Genesis in his solo shows. Morrissey does just a little bit more than zero these days. <laughs> He was he was the first concert that I was supposed to go to during COVID. I had 12 different shows I had tickets to in 2020. And he was in March. And it was like that Saturday on Monday, I think, they declared, okay, oh, everything geez. shut down, you know. And the thing is, he was supposed to play Paris on, like, say, that Wednesday. And Paris, France was already locking down. Like, nope, we're locking down. This is over. Shut it down. And then he came to England. He was supposed to play Wembley, not stadium, but arena, which is arena, right next okay. And And I had tickets. And I couldn't sell them. And I'm like, should I go? Because I was supposed to see The Who, like, a couple weeks after, three weeks after that, at Wembley Arena after already seeing them at the stadium the year before. And I'm like, eh, this is kind of scary. I'm not going to risk my life for Morrissey. If The Who were playing tonight, I would absolutely go. I would absolutely go. But for Morrissey, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so, yeah, that was the one that was neither refunded nor, you know, postponed. It went on, and I just didn't go. Oh, okay. Okay. I, yeah, well, I mean, you got to pick your shots. Who knows? Maybe he'll be back. Yeah, Probably. and he only played like one or two Smith songs. And I don't even know if he played How Soon Is Now, which has been a big staple as it should be. If I had written How Soon Is Now on another pen, I'd play it forever. Um, but but yeah, so yeah, so I missed Alan Morrissey. May not get the chance to see the, him, which means, you know, I'll, I'll never come close to seeing the Smiths live. But, you know, that's okay. You don't get to see it all and we get to still get to listen to them. And look, again, I think this is their best record. I think by the time they got the Strange Ways Here We Come, they changed record companies. Just the vibe was totally different. Yeah, the vibe's different. They kind of been in each other's pockets for a while and now there's lawsuits and there's money and there's fame and there's top of the pops and all that and they can start growing apart. They've got options and it wasn't long before Morrissey was at Viva Hate, Viva La Hate. His first solo record came out. It was all over 120 minutes. It was a big, big deal. And he went to James Dean's family farm and all that kind of stuff because he's a huge James Dean fan and was all kind of part of the video. And he, he was a darling of, of the 120 minutes scene as soon as he broke away. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. I was mean, thinking like, oh, like I didn't really know who he was at that point in time, but I knew he would have been in the Smiths. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that was the same thing. And like a lot of the stuff, his music at the beginning – it sounded a lot like the Smiths. Definitely. 
So I could see how you would just, oh, okay, well, we'll just take him as a solo act. And it's easier to focus on one person than trying to say, you know, okay, here's the whole band. Mm -hmm. So if they had a poster child to sell, and I think he was even, wasn't he even on the record jacket, the record cover, where they'd never done that before? Was he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember the Sweethead song. But and in the video, he's obviously in the video doing stuff. He's not trying to hide necessarily anymore. So yeah. And and Johnny Marr, if I'm not mistaken, went on to be uh, or do some work with a band called The The it's kind of an odd name and it was a song called The Beaten Generation I remember him being on 120 Minutes at the same time thinking alright well I'm glad he's continuing to go on because obviously Morrissey is Mm-hmm. And and that was it. And then and because I had you've heard me talking about my friend Todd, who got me kind of into a lot of this alternative music with me. He had Morrissey on CD. He made me a tape of it so I could listen to it in the car. And I remember you know saying, "Yeah, this is okay. This is not my favorite. This is not the Smiths." And you know, of course, the other tapes I had, I had moving pictures on one side and back and black on the other. I'm like, "Yeah, let's just pop that one back in." <laughs> I got Eagles Live. Yeah, I can sing along to that. Come on, let's just pop that back in there. You want to sing along to Morrissey? Not, not, not that much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can respect what he what he does, and I, I think the Smiths really had some great stuff going on there. Um, especially on this record, they're firing all all cylinders. But the Smiths were never going to be like my theme music. They were never going to be a band that played a big role in my life and a big role in my kind of education as far as what I would get into later. But they did play a role, you know, they were kind of in that 120 minutes era I was into with the REMs and the church and some of those other bands. The, learning that you don't just have to have big riffs and huge solos to be guitar driven and cool and rocking. You know, some of the stuff Morrissey's singing about, I'm not always, it's not really always my jam, but I always thought the music and Johnny Marr's guitar was fantastic. And, and it's one of those bands too where it was they weren't huge in the United States but they were huge in the UK. So if you're a fan of this style of music, just rock in general, it's worth your time to check it out because a whole bunch of people can't be wrong. Just because we missed the boat doesn't mean there's there isn't something else out there that you would say, well, now wait a minute, why have I never heard this before? Again, it wasn't promoted. It, wasn't, it didn't fit into a nice package that they could put on MTV or on the radio. But yeah, th- these are great songs and from a band who is pretty criminally underrated in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And there's a reason that they're so influential. So many people like the Noel Gallagher's of the world, or so many people are reverential of them, is because they did do amazing music and singles and just guitar work that you don't hear everywhere, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good. And yeah, Britain is just a little more open with what can be pop music, what can be on the radio and stuff like that. I think especially in the 80s, coming out of punk, getting into new wave, there's so many different directions that you could go. They allowed a lot more stuff in, whereas America, it still had to fall into one of about four or five different boxes. Maybe there were three boxes and now there are four or five, but still they, they all have to kind of fit in somewhere. So yeah, Americans missed out on it. It was never going to be huge, but it, I don't know. It gives me a good it gives me a good understanding of other things that would come along. You, you ever listen to Radiohead? You don't think he listened to the Smiths? Some you know, right. or like you were pointing out before, Oasis. All uh, the next generation of all of these you know British bands. Yes, of course they listened to that, and it, and it seeped in in some way, shape, or form. And and uh, the more that I read about this the more johnny moore's name keeps coming up mm-hmm. you know i was i was influenced by ba, 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 Depp, him and johnny moore or johnny moore first so yeah it to, to have that kind of impact on people and you've never heard that before you need to go and listen to it absolutely <laughs> So that was our take on The Smiths, The Queen Is Dead, 1986 album that gave them some success, but they never quite made it in the U.S. They were always a little bit underground. Maybe that was part of their plan. They didn't want to do videos. They didn't want to put their pictures on the record covers. They didn't want to be a big pop sensation. They wanted to be a good band that people could find and enjoy if they wanted to. Morrissey is a different kind of character and has some thoughts and ideas that might be different from most. And he was kind of ahead of his time in what he was speaking about sometimes. Look back at the early to mid-80s, he was talking about things that are very commonplace in our culture today as far as things people are talking about 
people's lifestyles, people's feelings, the way people are made, who people are. They were kind of shunned or kind of shoved under the rug. Now they're more at the forefront. So in that way, Morrissey is a leader, but certainly can be looked at as a groundbreaker, especially in the LGBTQ community. I like the Smiths because they make good music. I think Johnny Marr is a brilliant guitarist that comes up with great melodies, great rhythms. He's made a lot of great music over the years outside of the Smiths. And I think it's cool that the Smiths have never gotten back together. It's kind of sad that there's all this acrimony and that several generations who have eventually found the Smiths will have no opportunity ever to ever go see them. But that said, some people say, no, we're not getting back together. And then when the money's right, they get back together. And I don't see that ever happening for the Smiths. And honestly, I think it's a good thing. I think it's part of their mystique. You can still go see Johnny Marr. You can still go see Morrissey. And just hold the Smiths in a special place in your heart if you're a fan. No, you don't get to see them, but you can treasure all their great records. Lots of singles, several records, and a brief moment in time. And their influence continues to this day. Hey, as usual, we appreciate you listening and want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? please let us know. You can tweet us or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. If you have enjoyed the show, hey, do us a favor. Go out and give us a positive review wherever you like to get your podcast, be it Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, Apple. Good Pods is a great one for independent podcasters, and we really like it a lot, but there's all sorts of great places to do it. Samsung recently opened up for us, and we're getting a lot of great downloads from there. So please download and subscribe wherever you get them. And next week, we're going to have kind of an end-of-the-year wrap-up session where we reflect on all the different shows. We do some rankings. We talk about some of our favorite albums, concerts, events. Give some shout-outs to some people who were big influences on us or were friends of the program this year. And we had a lot of fun recording that. and looking forward to sharing that with you. That'll be out on the 30th of December. As you'll be listening to this right before Christmas, for those of you who celebrate, have a merry, safe Christmas this year. I want everybody healthy and happy because we had a lot of fun stuff lined up for 2020. 22, and we want you to hear all of it. So as usual, rock and roll fans all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.